Hello, lovelies. Greetings from Houston, Texas. This is Lou Gerlach from Think Chat, and welcome to Confession Number Seventy-Seven. We're going to look at the design thinking process. I'm here with my dog Bingley. He's anxiously wanting to talk about this topic. As I think about the power of that conceptual lesson cycle that we explored last week. I naturally connect to the design thinking process, which looks at conceptual ideas from the big picture. Now, if you haven't heard about it, you know, no worries. Um, I didn't understand about a design thinking process until about a year ago. And for those who've been engaging with design thinking for some time, we're going to explore some possibilities that will strengthen your usage of it. And I'm as giddy as an early years child on the first day of bringing something in to share with the class. Now, for those rubbing their hands together and saying, woohoo, this series is about design. I'm sad to tell you that's not the case. We'll not be going into the actual design as we traditionally think of it. Um, that is... Um, something different. We're actually going into the design thinking process. But if you're interested in a podcast series about design, check out DesignCast, a podcast about design in STEAM education by Jason Regan. It's amazing. And he's going to be able to give you a lot of ideas of how to do just that, bring design into your practice. He's super talented and passionate about um that whole area and he has a lot of guests that are just as nerdy as him who share some amazing ideas and i always walk away with new perspectives about um design and steam so think about going over there we are going to take this journey on design thinking process it's the same process of design but it's applying it towards organizational structures. So what does that mean? Well, it means that we're going to look at design thinking from the lens of education and how it impacts lasting change within school systems. I know that, wow, that sounds kind of deep, blue. I know. And we need to start this type of thinking as we're emerging from this post-pandemic era. You know, a lot of us are still wearing masks at school. Some of us are distance learning. We're still in the thrust of, you know, different types of education. But what's it going to look like once we're 100% um, not being threatened by COVID? Are we going to go back to the archaic ways of utilizing basal readers for some of us, using textbooks? Uh, are we going to forget all the technological advances that we have used within the last few years? And as an educator, it hurts my heart when I see people going back to the old ways of doing things. So how are we going to then shape new ways of doing things? That is what I love about design thinking. To be honest, I was completely lost on this process. Um, last year, in 2021, I was researching a new workshop called Creating a Curriculum for Transdisciplinary Learning for the IB. And I noticed that design thinking process was the main structure of the workshop. And as I was delving, you know, as we do um, into something new, 
I quickly noticed that this is pretty genius. Uh, why have I not heard about it before? And why have I not used it before? And I think it's because a lot of people are still growing in their understanding. And there are videos back from 2009, people, of uh, from Tim Brown, who's kind of like the father of design thinking. They, they can't really pinpoint who came up with the process, but who, you know, innovated it and made it strong. So thinking about that, you might want to just go onto YouTube. There's a really good um, video in there for Tim Brown. That's a TED Talk. And I really enjoyed it. I'm going to include it into the link of the description of this episode. So as a nerd... As we do, I started digging deeper into the concept design thinking. I made so many connections um, as I was looking at um, what is design thinking and what does school need in order to become better. And explained why some schools function better than others in my mind. And the school leadership team understood the basic principles of design thinking and continuously revisited it throughout the year, not just on professional development days like we do. So let's take a toe into looking at the overview of design thinking because this whole series is going to delve deeper into each part and then look at how do we then leverage it um, to strengthen school systems. Woo-wee! So if you are a type A, ooh, this is your series, my friends. This is where we're going to get into the nitty and the gritty of how to make systemic changes. And it is not easy, let me tell you. But when I'm thinking about this, I'm thinking about design thinking in the PYP because that's the system that we are in. And thinking back um, about this, it brings me back to my first year of being a coordinator. And I wish I knew about design thinking process to guide me at that time because I think I would have not made so many mistakes. But I know mistakes is how we grow, but you lose a lot of time. And I remember, you know, that um, I struggled a lot. And if I've shared this story with you before, I apologize, but we're going to revisit it again. But in the fall of 2018, I started as a new PYP coordinator at Foster Elementary in Houston, Texas. I love this school. The people are great. We're constantly evolving. Um, what was amazing is that the superintendent noticed a trend, as we often do in very big and comprehensive urban school districts, that majority of the IB programming was located in affluent areas or areas where it might be Title I, but it had a strong um, PTA or parent-teacher community, and the superintendent wanted to distribute the, the level of opportunity. So there were nine schools that were given the opportunity to explore the IB in different levels, which is fantastic because now my school, which is newly authorized, has a feeder pattern. There's going to be a middle school, high school, where students can experience all levels of the IB, and that's so important because we need that sustainability and that continuity. But with all of that greatness, there were a lot of mistakes I made during the first, I would 
would say two years that could have been easily fixed with a design thinking process. So if you are new or you're in the midst of getting your school ready for authorization, I heavily think about these things. And it's not too late to shift gears because I knew that I was making mistakes and going down the wrong pathway. And it took me some time. I was able to, to maneuver and to change my practice to get my teaching staff I would say relatively fully on board by year three. And that's pretty good considering all of the different dynamics. Now, I was a new staff member. That's the first thing. And I was also a new pedagogical leader, meaning my position didn't exist prior to me coming in. And as we do, by leadership, by myself, we were just eager to get started, right? And building that program of inquiry right away. Big mistake. To frame what my school demographic looked like. My school was in one of the poorest areas of Houston that was historically known for low school, school performance. Um, it had three years prior been in what's called improvement required which means that the state was trying to help the school go from being failing to passing. There was a lot of intervention, a lot of assistance from outside sources that put a lot of pressure on teachers. And as they stabilized and accelerated the progress of their learners, now the IB programming is introduced to the school campus. Plus, the campus was predominantly African-American background. Uh, there were very few teachers and administrators that were not. And I was one of them. So just imagine an outsider, a person who doesn't know the dynamics, the neighborhood, the community of the school, coming in and proposing changes to how the school functions. Disaster, right? Disaster. And because that right there, you're already storming. If we're looking at how, you know, organizations um, function, you're in the storming phase. And I was in the storming phase for about a year and a half, just to tell you, because I didn't do the first step in the design thinking process, which is empathize. And now when I think of empathize, I think of being quiet and listening. And I came in as an IB workshop leader, an experienced practitioner, and an excitable teacher. And I wanted to show inquiry-based practice. And because of the background of this wonderful community, they thought that's cute, but where's the meat and potatoes, right? Trying to then bring in some meat and potatoes with concepts over the head. And really, when we got to talking, they really wanted to see how do our state standards, our guidelines match well with the PYP curriculum framework. And I felt so much pressure within myself from outside to lead this work that I failed to see what was right in front of me. Now, if I were to do this all over again, 
I would have kept my mouth closed for three to four months and just observed the best practices currently happening within my school. I would have become a master note taker and captured evidence of how the PYP was seen already within the school. Take photos, take notes, take videos and pictures so that teachers can get authentic feedback of, hey, this is what it means, this is what inquiry means. Here's an example within our campus. Once again, that is going to build up the morale. It's going to make teachers feel like, okay, we're already doing some stuff. And then they're going to be more open to systematic changes, the areas of growth. And I'll be honest, I ignored this empathized phase and it polarized my staff. They started to think, who is this lady? Why is she coming in here? They started to take umbrage and uh, shut down our planning meetings because the school was not ready to make those changes. And it was also my approach. So my 100% suggestion is to not rush this empathize things. It might take you a year, but it's going to yield the fruit for many years to come. So think about that piece. The next step is define. Define is a portion where you're going to define what is the root question or the thing that you want to define that needs to be worked on in the school. So when you're rolling out this beautiful program that we're in, or if you're even looking at it from a non-PYP lens of how do you make change um, within your existing system, we need to clearly define our focus at different points in time because it's going to shift as we become masters of certain things. Then we're going to shift towards something else that needs to be fine-tuned. We can't do everything instantly, um, which I think is a major misconception for many new schools to the PYP. They think, ah, we're going to just learn how to do the program all at once. That doesn't work. You didn't learn how to become a teacher all at once, right? You had to first learn how to manage the classroom so children didn't hurt each other and respected each other and have some sort of commonality of how to function. Then you had to learn the basics of how to lead lessons um, that were dynamic. Then you were able to look at, okay, well then how do I leverage um, small group instruction so that I can help my struggling students and also push the ones that are um, needing more extension, right? We built those practices as we went through. And by the time year five happened, we were pretty good. That's the same thing with the PYP. So at different points in that journey, we're going to have different questions to define. And so just like when we tell students, we need to narrow our focus. When we tell students, to how to write an essay. We always say that that introduction paragraph should have a topic sentence that tells the reader clearly what the essay is going to be about. And then the rest of the essay explores it. 
That's the same thing with define. We have to at, drill down, though, because oftentimes we'll ask questions or pose questions that, or pose situations that we want to define that isn't at the root. It's a symptom. So we have to pull back the layers of the onion and go and go and question and prod until we get to the root. And when I got to the root of what is it that my teachers needed in order to move forward, is they needed to know how do we implement the PYP with our current system in mind. That doesn't sound revolutionary, but once I got to know that question, I was able to build up from there, right? And so that was the first major stumbling block. And once that was identified and fixed and filled, and we were able to have a clear picture of what that looked like, then we were able to add on, how does inquiry build on that? How do we take that and leverage the system? Okay, and then how are we going to make conceptual connections? What kind of skills are students going to need? Well, how are they going to act while um, taking on those skills? How are we going to make local and global connections? From there, you're able to build. All right. And so that those are going to be different areas you define as you go on. Now, step three is ideate. When we ideate, we're, question, we're considering that question that we have defined and try to consider an alternative out-of-the-box solutions to solve that problem or answer that question. We recognize that the previous steps we've taken did not solve it. Bottom line, or else it be solved. Everything we tried before didn't work. And this isn't meant to cause hurt feelings. It's not meant to be personal. It's just a matter of fact. What we did before didn't work. And there are people who put their heart and soul into the prior suggestions that didn't work. And so we have to, once again, empathize. We got to go back and then say, but for us to evolve, we have to be realistic with that didn't happen. And so how can we then now come up with some new ideas to possibly solve it in a new way? My team came up with ways to implement the PYP while ensuring that the foster way of doing things were left intact. This was a huge undertaking. You know, we had to break it down into bite-sized pieces. And for my staff to move forward with inquiry and conceptual understanding, they first needed to know how do we marry these state standards and in the U.S. public school system and a lot of international schools follow Common Core. Okay, but have and also the PYP scope and sequence. And even if you're just using PYP scope and sequence, you gotta know how, okay, we're using this scope and sequence, which are beautiful, by the way. But how do we break that down into tangible bite-sized pieces? And within our units, within by weeks, even within that six-week period, and then by weeks. And that was a process. And we spent a year completing that process. And once they could see, here are 
our standards and we repurpose them to bring that relationship between the social studies and science. And then we try to place them best with language and uh, with mathematics where they go naturally, you know, they scaffold naturally. Then we were able to say, right, with all of this composition of standards, what's the natural big idea that we see emerging? Well, that big idea emerged from the transdisciplinary theme descriptive. And then from there, we were able to create a conceptual center idea that was going to encompass all of these standards. And the same thing with um, lines of inquiry. create, And then it just built and built and built. But until we came and ideated on that first bit, we were not going to move forward. Step four is prototype. It's wonderful to empathize and define and ideate. But if you never launch anything and try anything out, you're never going to evolve, which is the fifth step. So at some point, you have to launch a product and test it out. In the PYP, that's our units of inquiry. We create this wonderful plan, but then we have to implement it. And then we have to be realistic at has what we mapped out work? What are things that we need to substitute? What are the things that we're going to capture for next time? And we capture these rich strategies, these rich ideas that learners have brought to the table, and we capture them, right? But we're also regularly collaborating with our teams. This is an underlying standard and practice within the IB. And so we have to collaborate with each other because more heads are better than one. And once we go through that process and we prototype and we launch, then we're able to then go into the fifth step, which is evolve. This is such a big part of life, continual reflection for growth, but it's also a major tenet for the PYP program. I think reflection drives the evolutionary process because we have to dig deep in order to reflect on what worked, what didn't, what tanked, what the students loved, what they came up with, so that we are evolving our practice. And we're not looking at that reflection practice as, oh, we have to reflect on our units rather than let's dig deep so that we can make this even better for next time. That's the right mentality for you all. And I'll be honest, sometimes I didn't have that right mentality, but eventually, majority of the time I did. The important thing here is this is that we do evolve and it might take slow and steady steps. So how are we going to take what we've learned in the design thinking process to move our work forward, right? Because that's what this is all about. Every time we make, I make a podcast, I'm thinking about myself. How am I going to move forward? And if we don't evolve our practice, what's the point? Personally, what's the point? So I recognize that change is massively different, but I guarantee if you use this design thinking, 
change will happen and it'll be lasting and sustainable within your classrooms, within yourself, within your teams, within your school. And you're going to see more agency and more alignment to the IB philosophy of learning and teaching as a natural result. So in this series, we're going to do something fun. We're going to have episodes where we take a deeper dive. We just take a bird's eye view of each of these phases. And we're going to look at some strategies of how to employ them and make them tangible. And I'm super excited because I'm participating in a book club right now on Misty Patterson's book called Pop-Up Studio. <gasps> so good. Because it looks at agency, inquiry, concepts, materials, building experiences, and coaching. How do we do that through an agentic lens? And it's such a good book. It makes it tangible. And I'm going to be infusing elements of her book into the design thinking process to scaffold it, as well as drawing upon other strategies and some strategies you've already used before to leverage it. And then we're going to have, yes, a challenge. So each episode will have an episode of info, and then there'll be an episode of challenge. All right, friends. It's time. It's time for you to put those deeper thinking hats back on. I mean, you've been using them all year. And now let's apply it to our practice. Have a beautiful week.